You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. Hello and welcome to the Southern Star Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the editor, Han Downing. And I'm the news editor, Siobhan Cronin. And each week we talk to people at the centre of the coronavirus pandemic in West Cork and beyond. We also take a look at that week's Southern Star newspaper and how our reporters all around West Cork are covering the pandemic and other news too. Also in this week's podcast, I will be talking to David Putnam, Oscar-winning film producer and educator, about the decision to use a grading system for this year's Leaving Cert, how he finds working from Skibbereen and virtual House of Lords sittings, and he even gives us his top network Netflix viewing recommendations. So, tying in nicely with that, we will also have a lovely end-of-year song from this year's Leaving Cert class at Kloshta de Tiberta in Bandon. But first, Khan, let's take a look at this week's paper. Uh, yes, Siobhan, on uh, page one, our lead story is about the likely hosepipe ban, which may come into effect in West Cork within a fortnight, unless, of course, people start uh, using water sparingly by not washing their cars at home, maybe filling paddling pools, watering the gardens, having long showers. Because, of course, so many people have been at home during the COVID-19 crisis and a lot more water is being used by households. And now, of course, with um, more businesses reopening, there will be an increased um, commercial demand for water as well. And uh, even though it has got cooler a bit of late than it was, uh, it is still very dry and there's no real decent bit of rain forecast until the end of next week, at least, anyway. So it looks like uh, gardeners and farmers will have to pray a bit harder for the rainfall that they need. Yeah, because I see there in the paper that Emma Connolly reports we're going to need the equivalent of six months rainfall to replenish some of the groundwater sources uh, because... Um, we've had some of the driest 12 weeks on record in the last few months. So that's a pretty scary statistic. Absolutely. I mean, we usually forget about, uh, was it uh, 2018 when we had the, the big drought here and we had a hose pipe ban for about six months? Absolutely. We don't want to go there again, hopefully. No. So there's another story there, Con, as well, about the drivers being turned back last weekend during the bank holiday. That's right. The guards were out turning back uh, drivers who were going outside their five kilometre zone. And uh, while those who were turned back may not like it, all the good citizens who were obeying the 5K uh, travel restriction will be delighted to hear that the Gardaí have been out uh, t- taking action to deter people from going out of bounds, so to speak. Checkpoints were in operation in Skibreen, Dunmanway, Bandon, Kinsale, Skull and Clannacilty over the holiday weekend. As soaring temperatures drew large crowds to many beaches. Now, the guards were also checking uh, that the two metre social distancing uh, was being observed by people. And they said that the level of complaints in West Cork continues to be low. However, uh, the Southern Star was contacted about overcrowding at Harbour View, Coolmain and Garrestown beaches and at the green area in to Charlesfort and Kinsale. Um, but... Um, Checkpoints, the guards say, will be continuing on a daily basis and not just at weekends. So you have been warned. Exactly. Um, there was a lovely story that caught my eye. Well, it was the image really a uh, collage of pictures that the teachers in Clash and Tiberta, again, in Bandon put together because, of course, last Friday they didn't have their usual last day of school. 
So that's a nice image on page two, Con, and I think it's a yes, uh, story on page eighteen as well. About that's the, right. Uh, the the the, the um, they had a, a virtual farewell this year. I think um, the story says that over one hundred and ten people, including students and teachers, logged in for the online graduation ceremony for the abandoned school. And uh, we also carry a report on page twenty four of a similar uh, virtual graduation from Clonakilty Sacred Heart Secondary School, which saw over one hundred and thirty people joining in the celebration so these things are quite big no everybody's uh, zooming these days i think yes yeah that's right yeah, so i presume it um, happened in a good few other schools as well absolutely yeah. i think we're all getting very uh, used to the the online graduations and online parties and online quizzes at this stage <laughs> there's also a lovely story on page three about a man who is a great friend of bantry and he has some incredible career behind him chuck daly that's right. That's right. Uh, um, the article coincides with uh, Chuck Daly celebrating his uh, 93rd birthday. Now, we might wonder who Chuck Daly is. He's a Dubliner originally who moved to the United States, uh, where he did very well for himself. Uh, now, Chuck is the last living member of JFK's West Wing staff. And he's also a Korean War veteran, a uh, businessman and journalist also. He's been involved in a lot of fundraising for various worthy causes uh, over many years. And the Mary Daly Fund was set up by him in memory of his first wife. And that benefited many causes, especially around the Bantry area, where the couple had bought a farm of more than 30 years ago. And uh, when the fund was wound down there a few years ago, Chuck's, Chuck saw that the balance of €85,000 that was left in it went to the West Cork Women Against Violence charity. So happy 93rd, Mr. Daly. Absolutely. There's also a feature from Kieran O'Mahony on page four about the County Council's ACT initiative, ACT, and That's right. some of the um, meetings that are uh, getting underway there. That's right. Uh, this uh, Project Act initiative by Cork County Council is all about getting uh, the county towns up and running again as the COVID-19 restrictions are being gradually lifted. The ACT in Project Act stands for Activating County Towns. And a lot of it is planning for the so-called uh, new normal, uh, creating more room on footpaths and streets to facilitate safe social distancing. And already some of the immediate actions that the council themselves are taking include deep cleans of the main retail and pedestrian areas, decluttering and fixing of street furniture, replanting of trees and flower beds, additional road and pavement markings and measures to improve public space utilisation for pedestrians and businesses. So ownership of the council initiative at local level is being taken by town teams, which will be comprised of elected representatives from the area, business people, traders, community leaders and representatives of the Cork County Older People's Council, amongst others. So we look forward to seeing how that goes for them. Absolutely. And also, Con, um, there's a very interesting piece, I suppose not a million miles from that topic, about how some of the cafes and hotels in the area are getting back to business under That's the right. restrictions. Yeah, Siobhan, they're adapting their offerings for the post-lockdown world with grab-and-go options, as they call them, and they're probably very popular. Now, two of the bigger hotels uh, in the area have food trucks outside uh, with the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry reinventing their takeaway offering. They're calling it Craft 
which stands for Celtic Ross Artisanal Food Truck. Uh, And it's open over the weekends, Friday through Monday. And people must place their food orders in advance. They even cater for cocktail orders as well. And then they can collect them at a designated time. And then uh, the Inchidani Lodge and Spa at the other side of Clannacilty, has just launched its uh, Silver Surfer food truck, which has uh, which it planned to do anyway, it says, but the timing of the launch now couldn't have worked out much better. And meanwhile, in Skibreen, Calbo's Cafe has reinvented itself as an artisan food shop. Very interesting there, all right. And uh, can a, a story that I suppose you have particular interest in um, from the farming point of view was that uh, the... the um, Marts are going online, or they have gone online, and quite successfully, I think. That's right, Siobhan. On our farming pages, we have a piece about how local livestock marts in Bandon, Skibreen and McCroom have gone online uh, with their sales. And according to the manager in Bandon and Skib, Tom McCarthy, they have been working out very well so far. Uh, he even said that uh, buyer numbers were up uh, for this time of year. And even though the marts can open again in phase two of the lifting of the restrictions next week with uh, social distancing, of course, Tom still expects the online sales to be a fixture for some time to come yet in the marts. And a great headline there, Con sold to the highest clicker. That's right. Yeah, very good. Emma's uh, um, for that one, I think. A similar uh, subject again, I suppose everything is kind of pandemic related these days, but very interesting piece by Emma Connolly on the front of the life uh, section this week on auctioneers and what they're doing. Yeah, Siobhan, uh, the front page of the life and community section has this story. It's called West Cork House Tours Go Virtual. And uh, in it, uh, she writes about the surge reported by auctioneers of people looking to relocate here in West Cork because they want to be closer to family. And now with uh, strict new guidelines surrounding the showing of property, uh, local auctioneers are embracing uh, the technology to open up West Cork to a public that cannot travel. And all the logistics of it make for a very, very interesting read. Worth getting the paper to see that one. Absolutely. Um, So um, we're also inside in the live section um, we have um, Emma Connolly's Diary of a Demented Homeworker. Uh, imagine how it's already week 11 of this. But uh, the economy in fairness continues to be very entertaining. And, and this week uh, she ventures out to the beach, uh, being lucky enough to live within 5K one, of course. But uh, she found that the beach gear and picnic boxes have reached a new level of trendiness and uh, that she wasn't prepared for. And she has also vowed to work on her paddleboard pose. And uh, there are plenty of other random thoughts and observations throughout Emma's diary to keep people entertained. It's well worth a read as well. It certainly is, yes. And uh, thank you for that, Con. Now, don't forget, if you can't get to the shops, you can subscribe online by going to southernstar.ie and clicking on the e-paper tab at the top of the page or call the office at 028-21200 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. David Putnam is an Oscar-winning film producer who's also a member of the UK House of Lords. And for the last nine years, he has been working as an online educator from his home studio. He's also an associate professor at UCC. I talked to him this week about his thoughts on this year's Leaving Cert, how virtual House of Lords meetings are working out, 
his lockdown viewing recommendations and how he feels very safe and secure in his West Cork home. So David, you've worked in education for many years now and you lecture to students online from your home here in West Cork. And you've also been quite vocal this year about the whole Leaving Cert process. And prior to the decision, you were very keen that it, it would not go ahead. So how do you feel now that a decision has been made on this calculated grading process? Well, first of all, in fairness to the government, uh, it was a question of which was the least worst decision they could make. There, were, there, was no, there was no perfect decision, there's no question. And the ramifications of this quite considerable. What I felt was that... Too many children, and I do talk to a lot of, I'm able to talk to a lot of kids, were feeling very, very insecure about what was happening. Um, that the suggestions that were being brought forward didn't work for them, didn't for the most part work for their parents. And what I personally think would have happened, would have a lot of contested results would have come out at the end of it. Now, the government's uh, or the department's counter view was that if they went ahead with this route they have taken, there would be contested results. So you've got to, it's kind of trying to weigh it up. My own belief is that the number of contested results, the number of unhappy young people, given the protections that have been added to it, is going to be significantly less. Again, in a perfect world, because I've read about the stuff about people suing, uh, I think what should happen is a kind of Supreme Court derogation that says, in, these, in this area, there are no lawsuits. You can sue away, it's at your own expense, but, you, but the, the Supreme Court decided this is an extraordinary circumstance and they will not accept the cases. Now, I think be perf that would be a perfectly reasonable uh, position for the state to take because the sheer costs at the time of financial crisis anyway, the sheer costs would be extraordinary. So it, it would be bonkers. What about the practical element then of the exams? Because that's going to pose quite a challenge for the government, is it not, for the likes of metalwork and, and construction and even some of the science subjects? Well, I think it does present problems, but then we'd already had problems because um, a lot of language, a lot of subjects, Irish being one and others, had already been, they'd agreed to give them full points. So actually, if you've been lucky enough a couple of years ago to choose the subjects that, that were kind of exempted, you were going to start the whole process with a couple of hundred points under your belt and not being tested at all. So there was no fair process. There was no, there was no way you're going to get back to a level playing field. It wasn't there. Let playing field had already been tilted. It was who he's tilted in favour of, who was going to suffer. My own view, Siobhan, beyond this, is it represents an opportunity. I don't know anyone that thinks that the Leaving Cert is a great way of finishing school. I've, I've never met anyone that is wholly prepared to defend it. It is, it is democratic in a way. It is, it is sort of transparent. Uh, but at the same time, certainly because I talk to a lot of employers, it doesn't provide them ultimately with the people they're looking for. And it certainly, I don't think, provides universities with the very, very best cohort that they could possibly have. So there's flaws in the system. So a crisis like this, I think, offers the opportunity to relook at the whole thing and say, hang on a second, instead of just going back to where we were a year from now, how could we make this better? I'm a big fan of the IB. And they, I make no, uh, no that, that's, that's where I'd love to see it, man. I think the, the International Baccalaureate is a, is a more sophisticated and more imaginative uh, series of exams and it means something very important it's worth me just stressing this it means from the day you start secondary school second level every single week you work counts you can't this and you don't you'll take what's taken away from you is this absurd notion that if you cram for three months prior to the leaving cert you'll manage to make your way through that's not education that's memorization 
So I think there's every reason to look, to look back and say, well, hold on a second, we could have a system whereby from the day you start secondary school, all the work you do during those five years counts towards your leaving cert. That to me is it's just a better form of education. And do you see any role then for any sit-down exam process at all? Or is it integrated uh, into that? I think it's probably blended. I mean, more and more, I find myself using this word all the time. I, I've always resisted. I hate the concept of either or. I'm, you know, I, when I used to make movies, the, the really kind of idiot question was, is it going to be entertaining or is it serious? You said, what? Um, well, I'm trying to make a film that's really entertaining so that people haven't see it, but actually has something to say because it's a year of my life or more and I've got things I want to say and, and this my, my means of expression is, is the moving picture industry. Um, so I've, I've always resisted the idea that, that things are either or. What you look to do is blend the best of what you can do with given the challenges you have. That's what you do. And what I'm discovering at the moment, which is very interesting, you started off by saying I, I teach from here. I have done for nine years. Um, I've never pretended that, that the way in which I teach is the answer. What I do think is, and certainly my colleagues at UCC agree, or I'm an associate professor, they agree, that part, part of the mix of a course is the 10, um, 8, 10 seminars that I give, and they're actually structured to fit within the course. So blended is what we've been doing for a long while. And we've learned, we didn't get it right the first time, but 2012, we didn't necessarily get it right that year but I think we've improved it every year. So some really interesting conversations about what future blended learning might look like. And if you're, gonna, if you're gonna go down that road and really start looking hard at what the digital component of education could be, then it seems to me somewhat absurd not to look at both the, the process up to leading up to leaving cert and indeed university admissions process, which I also think is, is inadequate. In fact, it doesn't involve um, interviews, that it doesn't involve, the, as it were, character testing. Seems wrong to me. Uh, but yeah, right. I'm a bit old. Well, uh, just before we leave, <clears throat> excuse me, the leaving cert per se, can I just ask you about the calculated grading? Because the one concern that seems to keep coming up is about schools, say, in low socioeconomic areas or disadvantaged areas where a, an overall grading system may disadvantage particularly bright children in those schools. And there's a lot of concern about at the moment now that those kids are going to be disadvantaged this year. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, genuine, um, it's a genuine issue. I, I'm a patron of the disadvantaged bit of uh, Trinity. The, um, uh, and uh, we work with a run by a fantastic woman named uh, Mrs. Miss Hannon. Uh, and we look at this all the time. There are no, there are no simple answers. The, 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 the uh, can I come back? Can I just b b back up a second? To me, what I've just been saying about the fact that the work that people, that young people do from the day they start in secondary school, and the progress they make, and the, and indeed maybe the challenges they overcome, could and should be all part of the final decision at the point of leaving cert. So this is in a way my argument. I'm suggesting that leaving cert in a sense is blind. It's deliberately blind so that it can be seen to be transparent and democratic. But at the same time, by being blind, it doesn't, doesn't take full account of the complexity uh, of, the socio of the socioeconomic argument that you've just made. So I'm not, that's not a proper answer to your question, but it's sort of where I'm coming from. Well, I suppose you're talking about the least worst options. So maybe this year we might learn 
from what happens this year and go forward with that. So maybe, you know, all is not lost just yet. Now, can I also ask you, David, um, about the whole social distancing crux and how do you envisage schools being able to operate at all in September? With very great difficulty. Um, with very great difficulty. I, I, I wish I could answer that question. I have a strong feeling that we will have um, phase two, phase three of, 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 of the virus. Um, I think that uh, the country, Ireland has handled it much, much better than the, than the UK. I've no, I really feel that very strongly. Uh, and I think we, we need to move towards, someone suggested on the radio this morning, actually, red, yellow and green alert system. So that where you're living, and now where you're living can be, it could be like from, for us, it could be from here to Ross Carberry, for example. That has a, a, a traffic light system. So on any given day or week, we know if we're in a green zone, a yellow zone, or God forbid, suddenly a red zone. And I think it is very possible uh, with tracing and everything else to begin to put that in place. Now, how that would affect the schooling system, it, it, that's tougher. But if you knew in West Cork, that we've been in a green zone for three months. It does allow you to make decisions that someone in Dublin in a red zone can't. Am I making sense here? You are, but there was an argument when that was suggested initially that if people thought they were in a green zone, they may become more complacent and therefore I would urge them quicker into the orange zone. Because you don't agree I, I with don't that. I don't, know how, I, I don't agree with that. I don't know how you, and I was not sure how you ad- address it. In the end, my experience, certainly here in West Cork, is that people have been incredibly um, responsible, really extraordinarily responsible. I feel very, very secure here. Whereas a friend of mine has had to go back to work in Dublin, says he feels extraordinarily insecure. And he puts that down to um, a a different form of, if you like, information or misinformation. Um, He says it's among young people who don't really seem to have been taking this very seriously. Now, is that the result of, of them believing that it affects old people? And that even if they get it, they'll shrug it off. Well, it's not necessarily true. So maybe part of the messaging is to say to people, you may think you're 20, 25 and safe. You're actually not. You're actually not. The chances of you dying are less, but the chances of you getting very, very ill are almost as great. So I think there's, you know, this is, my, this is one of the most complicated things I've ever looked at uh, in my life. But so I think there are demographic issues. I think there are regional issues. I think there are sensitization issues, but I do think the traffic light system, we've used it, you know, I've lived under that for a long time now, working in parliament every single day when I enter the building, which is a a vulnerable building, God knows, with terrorism and everything else over the last, I've been there 23 years. Every day, there's an alert level. There's black or there's green, or there's an alert level. This is the House Um, Lords now you're referring to in the UK when you're physically going into a meeting, right? Yeah, so literally in that building, and as you walk down Whitehall, it tends to be across that little area, there's an alert level, and you just get adjusted to it. And if the alert level is high, you're just a bit more cautious, and if the alert level is low, but you've got to go to work anyway, so you, you deal with it. And what about other universities that you're conversing with now at the moment? Have you seen quite a divergence in approach to social distancing, or how, how are other countries approaching it? I'm seeing some very encouraging things. For example, next month, uh, I think we're all signed off now, I'm going to do a series of seminars that are going to be shared in, in Belfast and Dublin with a group of selected young filmmakers from both. Now, that kind of imaginative uh, use of, if you like, technology, I'd have had a much bigger struggle 
convincing because they're being in both cases being paid for by the state uh, convincing people that it was a good investment as it is once you've got through that barrier i think both sides of the border they're thrilled to bits that we're doing it because there's so many mixed uh you know or shared problems shared issues there's the inward investment it, part of the piece in northern Ireland has been more successful than inward investment here for film uh, are the lessons to be learned so there are things happening which I think are really exciting. I wrote to the, um, uh, the, the person I, I directly worked with at UCC this morning, actually, just saying that all of a sudden, a lot of things have become possible that weren't in the past. And we really need to sit down, probably remotely, and discuss what we're going to do next year and how, how can next year be better than this year. And a simple example, I got upgraded in November, purely by luck. Two new developments. One is that I can now have a biz bar running across me, which instantly translates what I'm doing. So my opportunity, the opportunity for me to work in different countries is significantly increased in their, own, in their own language. I can now teach in China without, I have taught in China, but it's always been with a carefully selected group of English-speaking uh, Chinese students. Now I can do it with, a, with an instant biz bar. As I get up and move across to the interactive whiteboard, the camera now tracks me across. I don't have to worry, we don't have to worry about the technology in the way we used to have to worry about it. So every single year, there's small technological improvements. Again, I, I would, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying this. In the next 12 months, the improvements in the type of technology you're using right now will blow your mind. We'll be able to do things, I think, more simply, more interactively, and more, um, you know, platforms better talk to other platforms, which at the moment has been a, a, a bit of a problem. But that brings me very nicely to the next question, David, and that is broadband. And that is a big issue in this country. And we're very lucky, I suppose, in Skibbereen in that, with your help and others, we had Bloodgate, which brought Vodafone down, which gave us the one megabyte capacity. I, I'm eight miles from Skibbereen, and I have quite good um, broadband, not through Vodafone, now through a satellite operator. But we're quite lucky. And there's a lot of kids and there's a lot of businesses are not so lucky and the, the government is still kind of dragging its heels a little bit, I think, on the broadband issue. So, I mean, it's all well and fine to talk about advances in technology, but if you're a kid who can't avail of it or even simply can't afford the laptop, you know, to get online, like, how do you address that? Well, I think it's, uh, there, there are two ways of addressing it. One is to begin to see broadband as a human right in the same way that we see the provision of water or electricity. It's 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 got to get it's got to get up there, and I think that might have been a that might have been quite a difficult journey uh, three four months ago to, to convince government. I don't think it's very difficult. It is now absolutely a kind of dividing line between the people's ability to live full lives. I've got a wonderful little film I used to use uh, and show of the bringing of, of electricity to Ireland, and the scepticism about electricity, and people think it was going to cause fires and everything else. And the change it made to society in Ireland once, once electricity was done. Well, it was expensive. And I'm sure the rollout of it was quite complicated. It didn't happen all at once. But no one doubted that by the time some people in Ireland had electricity, everyone in Ireland had to start, had a, had a right to electricity. Well, why would broadband be any different? On the business of, um, frankly, on the business of uh, laptops, it's the same thing of uh, 120, 30 years ago. You might have said to me, what about the kids that can't afford pens? That was the reason people use slates. So you go to school and you'd be given the slate and the slate and what's a piece of chalk and you'd read, but because they couldn't afford paper, uh, books, and, and many, many schools, Welsh schools particularly, couldn't afford books, couldn't afford pens. 
because this would have been a luxury uh, in a, it's, to have a pen in a poor Irish, Irish or, or indeed Welsh school in the 1880s would have been an extraordinary luxury and you'd protect it. Paper, this pad of paper would have, I would have either tried to make it last me a year. So, you know, history moves on and what happens at a certain moment, people start to say, you know what, this is a right. I think one of the very healthy things, one of the many things I love about Ireland is the attitude to the post office. That the, you know, the role of the post office, mainly partly because of the events uh, of 1918-1990-1920, maybe that, but also I think the notion that it was that you had a right as, a, as, as someone who with a, a nation that emigrated a lot, a right to get to people, a right to communicate. So communication, when you think about it, and I haven't actually enough, communication in a sense is a human right. And if, if it requires broadband to allow us to communicate, then it becomes a human right. So that's the button I'd be pushing if I were you. And do you think that what's happened now in the last few months will maybe prompt the government to take it more seriously and you know just get the act, their act together and get more people online? I tell you what, I go further than that. It could be the the deciding factor in an election. You know that's how that's how significant it'll be. I think right. there's no question that any political party, any of the three major parties, could possibly come out into an election saying they were against the rollout of broadband. It's, it, the argument would be how fast is it, how affordable is it, and how quickly can you do it? Exactly. Now, do you think the likes of Ludgate, which you have been involved in here, which is the digital hub in Skibbery, do you think that the likes of those hubs in towns could have a role in an area where maybe, you know, I'm thinking specifically of, of education, in an area where there's poor broadband, maybe connection to the schools themselves or the kids attending the schools, I think there might be a role for the likes of a of a Ludgate to, I don't know, offer you know regular sessions for kids or offer them a spot for homework or something like that. I'm just I'm just thinking there's a lot of areas in say Southwest Kerry, Cork, Northwest Donegal that are black spots really, you know, and all this talk of blended learning and. Um, technology helping you with your homework is irrelevant to a lot of them well it depends again this is comes back to political messaging doesn't it uh if you are a party that stands on on the platform of reducing inequalities uh you you are going to be forced to look at these issues now interesting enough particularly with with Ludgate, any number of other towns of a similar size are looking at and i think will have their Ludgates. i don't doubt that um the thing that we did slightly different is we did it anyway. We waited and waited and waited for the government. And in the end, we were lucky enough to put together a group of people. And we were very, very lucky to have Anna O'Leary on our board. And we're able to push it, as it were, push it through. Actually, I've got to say, parts of the government were helpful too. But uh, so I think, first of all, what you're describing is going to happen. The missing piece here is to make sure that there's an, a fantastic link between the Ludgates and the schools. Uh, we've been enormously helped. First of all, we've got a brand new school. Secondly, uh, John O'Halloran, the deputy president at UCC, has taken a serious interest in this. So our ability to tie into what's going on at the new at the Skibbering School, and indeed other schools, has been enormously enhanced, actually, by this crisis. And so I think the schools and places like Ludgate, we've got to get into lockstep. And the schools ought to see Ludgate as a natural transition point into either night schools, weekend work, or eventually um, places that, that people can actually work from. 
right, right. And you, you, what evolves is a thing like Spearline. You know, Spearline is a child of broadband. That's it. And Kevin be the first person to tell you that. So there's no reason why in, in Skibbery, for example, there shouldn't be three, four spear lines. Um, but equally, other towns like Skibbereen would, would, I think, seek exactly the same thing. So no, I think these things are happening. The, the pace of these changes I'm describing, which I, I, I hope I live to see, will be absolutely de determined by the will of the political parties and the degree to which they decide to fight or, or to differentiate themselves in this area. So Sinn Féin said, we're going to do this and it's all going to be done in a, within a year. By definition, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael would have to say the same. They couldn't possibly say, well, it won't be a year, it'll be three years. It's, they'd, be, they'd lose a lot of votes. Right. And just on, I suppose, the, the future for West Cork in tourism, tourism end of things now as regards to the economy and getting away a little bit from technology maybe, because you're also quite um, an advocate of West Cork as a, a place to visit, I think. yourself. So how do you see us, like personally, I think there's a great opportunity for somewhere like West Cork to attract people here. We have lovely remote beaches. We have a lot of space. We have a lot of very innovative people. Do you see a good future for West Cork as tourism really has to change radically over the next few years? I do. And I, you know, I can just personalise this for a moment. I've been, for the last... 20 years, I've been fly, commuting every week, flying back and forth. I'm, I, I must be up there among Aer Lingus's most frequent flyers. Um, I'm not going to do that anything like as much. Uh, but more importantly, so I think I'm going to move from weekly to fortnightly. I've pretty well made that decision. But more important than that, the business of me jumping on a plane, being paid for, to fly to Singapore to speak at a conference, or to buy fly to Berlin or Paris to speak, it's nonsense. It, it's just, it's not going to happen. So the conference world is going to re reinvent itself as well as the tourism world. I think that uh, the, the juxtaposition with the UK, I, you know what, this is probably a moment to improve and, uh, and re-look at the ferry. I think quite a lot of people are going to be using, would be using the ferry. Uh, I, I think it'd be a long while before people go to football matches in crowds. And it'd be a long time before people happily jump on planes that are crowded. A long time. When I say a long time, a good year. I think the cautionary principle is going to last longer than even governments think, especially so you, around my older people. But do you think from the social distancing end of things that we're in a good spot here too? Yes, I do. Uh, I mean, again, I just repeat what my chum said to me the other day, that he, you know, he was, he'd been in West Cork for the first six, seven weeks of the lockdown. He said, David, for God's sake, stay there. He said, it's another world. He said, I didn't remotely even think about possibly catching coronavirus. Uh, in, when I was there, he said every single day in Dublin, I, uh, I, veer, I veer away from a bar or a pub. Or, he said, I can't tell you. He said, it's, it's completely different and I'm very fearful. Right. And how well, are you finding... Very, very successful man. How are you finding lockdown yourself and Patsy there, David? Are you finding you're bored at all or you just have so much to do? And uh, I've, I've had a piece of luck in a way. It was, I didn't know it would be luck. But I'm in the, just in the latter end now of finishing a report for the UK Parliament on the role of digital, digital technology in democracy. It's a huge, you know, huge thing. I did a word count last night, 55,300 words at the moment. <laughs> Still a few more to come. Uh, it's been huge. I'm not sure. I, I have a delivery date. It's got to be delivered by 17th of June. I'm not sure I would have met, met the date if I hadn't been in lockdown. 
Uh, and the other thing is, thanks to the technology, we haven't missed one single committee meeting. We meet, we're meeting again next Tuesday, we're meeting the following Tuesday, we meet, uh, discuss, and we will, we'll hit our date. Uh, so I've been frantically busy. I mean, I'll finish with you, this is interesting, when I, we finish now, I'm in Belfast at uh, 11. Um, no, I'm not, sorry, at Belfast they pushed it back. I'm actually on stage at noon in Belfast, talking about the implications of Skibbereen and the advantages we have with our, with our, with our make, one meg broadband uh, as it might apply to the North, Northern Ireland. Now, what, what, what have we cracked here? This is, this is organized by the Northern Ireland Assembly uh, to, talk, to talk about the impact of, of broadband in rural, in, um, in rural Ireland. Wow. So it stopped. Excellent. And you did mention there about your committee meetings with the House of Lords. Is that yep. the future now, do you think, David? And you talk about only going over every fortnight. Are they going to facilitate, do you think, that, as in, in, in the interim, will you be able to join, you know, a Zoom committee meeting, or how does that work? It's a great question. I think what we've discovered already is that the committee work has continued effortlessly. I mean, for example, our Labour Party weekly meetings, we get 120 people on Zoom, and the meetings are great. In fact, in some ways, they're better uh, than they were before. Committee meetings are fine. On the other hand, parliamentary work in the chamber is like Monty Python. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it just absolutely doesn't work. Why there's doesn't no it etiquette. <laughs> well, and, and there's no, you can't interrupt. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the House of Lords tend to be a rather polite place. So that, for example, if when someone's speaking, you stand up, they have to stop and allow you to either ask them a question or interrupt. That whole area of interaction, which is where life comes from, which is where, which actually is what makes it sometimes even exciting. Gone. And how so, do you signal you want to speak then? Is it the little hand on Zoom or oh, do you have to wave frantically? And, <laughs> and then that's seen by the speaker and the speaker then, I mean, it's, it is Pythonesque. I mean, you can go on and watch it. <laughs> it's uh, every day. doesn't work. So remember that word I used right at the beginning, blended? Blended. We're going to have to come up with sophisticated and blended ways of doing things differently. And that may well mean that, for example, the House of Lords can only sit X months a year in person and that much more work's done in committee, which I could make a strong argument for. Mm. I mean, I certainly in, the, in my 23 years have had much more productive, have ground out much more productive work in committees than, uh, than in, in the chamber itself. Right. And can I just ask you also uh, a fear of mine now is that with all this PPE going around and you're uh, quite um, a strong environmentalist I think as well like do you fear for the future of the planet now given there's going to be so much excess plastic after all this? I fear for the planet all the time I mean I really really do I, to me one of the great learnings from all of this is it's like a dress rehearsal for the impacts of climate change uh, in terms of the enforced changes in people's lifestyles and I, what i would my message today would be look however difficult you're finding this this will look you'll look back 30 years from now if you're young enough i'll, I'll be long gone you'll look back 30 years and say wow i wish we could get back to um, shutdown and the, uh, and the and the covid19 crisis because that was that was much more bearable we were we were we had we were getting enough food we felt secure it happened to be a beautiful spring blah 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 no, I think the, uh, the, the, the dangers of climate change are, are myriad. Uh, they certainly affect food security. My biggest fear, and I've said this to you before, is, and it's the one that people would not focus on, is that climate change will hit and affect different parts of the world. 
what we've discovered from Syria and uh, Libya, people don't roll over and die easily. They actually do everything they can to save their lives, their children's lives, their families' lives. That means they get on boats and they end up drowning in the Mediterranean in many, many cases. That will be as nothing, and I mean this, when a serious climate crisis hits, because instead of dealing with two or 300,000 people, you will possibly be dealing with 15 million people. And no country in the world has any experience of how you cope with that level of crisis. That's climate migration in effect, isn't it? Where you have to move because you've no water and you can't grow and... It's migration, and unless it's handled well, it means wars. There's no possibility otherwise. and I think the great challenge for uh, Ireland in particular, because we've got a reasonable landmass here, how many people are we prepared to accommodate and defend our accommodation of them before we say, I'm sorry, that is it? Uh, how generous are we prepared to be? How humane are we prepared to be? And to what extent are the people that we do allow in prepared to say, you know what, this is actually a great place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight to defend it. So I think um, the idea is just pulling up a drawbridge and saying, look, we are closed <laughs> x million people uh and, uh and and that's it that won't work so we're going to have to fight and the most troubling thing of all the united nations has never discussed nor does it have any plans for mass migratory movements mass what kind migratory. of time scale are we looking at do you think david i i used to think 2050 i now think it'll be before that uh 30 maybe would, yeah exactly mm-hmm. 30 Okay, well, on a less sombre note, can you just tell me what are you watching at home on your downtime? Are you a Netflix man or are you watching some of your great Oscar-winning movies? No, I'm certainly not watching my great Oscar-winning movies. I've been watching a fair bit of Netflix. My the favourite, uh, my the best thing I've seen was a, a four-parter called Unorthodox, which was wonderful, absolutely sensational. Uh, I thought brilliantly made. Um, What's that about, I'm, David? I've seen it, but I haven't. Not, uh, uh, it's about it. Orthodox Jewish families in a particular part of New York, and a girl who runs a girl who, who who runs away, gets married, but runs away to Berlin. It's all made in Berlin. They didn't make it at all in New York. It's, it's wonderfully well made. It's very emotional. It's sensational performance by the girl who I've never heard of. Extraordinary. Um, yeah. Then I drift around. I really enjoyed. Uh, uh, a documentary series called The Last Dance about, about basketball. I never ever thought I'd watch a 13 part series about basketball. Right, that's the Michael it. Jordan um, documentary, is it? Yes. I, I thought it was, again, beautifully made. Uh, I like the Taylor, Taylor Swift documentary. Right. I was pleasantly surprised by it. I love the documentary about Obama's last year in the White House. Right. And I discovered and I discovered Samantha Power. I didn't know she was Irish. Yes. So I'm, at the moment, I really. A great her. book as well, you'll have to look, at, look up now. I'm re- Reading it, making okay. a, making of, 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 of an idealist. I'm, yes. I'm reading it right now. So now I've been. I had. I don't bore easily, actually. Sorry if I'm honest. Mm. Uh, this, if, if anything, I've got a stack of things I would like to do that I've had to put on hold to finish this report. So that's been that's been the dominant feature of my life for the last for the last ten weeks. You're you're probably like me, getting slightly annoyed at people who are saying, you know, what what else are you learning and what other new skill are you finding. And I wish I had time to learn something. <laughs> I think what is interesting, reading, because uh, I've been reading a lot of articles, a lot of newspapers, everything else. I, I like very much the sense that you get of connectivity between things, that you can think that that is different from that and different from that. But if you read enough, you begin to see, actually, there, is, there are very real connections. And I find that fascinating. 
And technology, of course, has had a huge benefit for us in this time because without it, there'd be very little connectivity, I'd imagine. Uh, I think so. Oh, I mean, I can't imagine what, but, you, you know, as I said, we, we, we started this in 2011. It has allowed me almost seamlessly to deal with the last 10 weeks. Um, there's no doubt today I've got this, I'm with this with you. I've got two other video conferences during today. I'm probably doing about 12 a week. Right. So the time timing was good in a way that you were well set up for it. Yes, I was very well. So I wish I could tell you that I envisioned this would happen and that would be a lie. <laughs> You're a great visionary. <laughs> so what I did think was that I'm living here in West Cork. I'd had a bad car accident. I'm living here in West Cork. I think I've told you this before. And I just suddenly thought, well, what, what, how would I operate if I was only here and could only be here? And I was really thinking about disablement, ironically. Right. And that's what stimulated the creation of this. And it's given you a whole new lease, I'd imagine, really. It's given you a whole new career. Absolutely. Well, it really has. It's, uh, it's wonderful. I, I love it. I love teaching. So, in fact, it's a hobby. Do you know what? Honestly, it's a, it's a hobby as much as anything else. I really well, isn't enjoy that, it. Isn't that the great lesson in life? If you can make your hobby your career, then you're a happy person. So. Yeah. Well, I'm a very no happy problem. person. A lucky person and a happy person. Well, thank you so much on that happy note to end, David. Thank you for joining us today. Great, great pleasure. Thanks a lot. This week's musical treat comes from the Leaving Cert students at Clawston and Tiberta in Bandon, who joined together online to record a version of Emily Sande's River. It's also available to watch on the school's Facebook page. If you're looking for the big Southern Star Coronavirus podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available now on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Then darling, look for me. Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie